0: Welcome to the December 16th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today we'll talk about the functional properties of mesenchymal stromal cells in sickle cell disease. Learn more about CAR T-cell-mediated hematotoxicity in relapsed refractory B-cell lymphoma, and discuss dual cytokine blockade in graft-versus-host disease. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled, Murine bone marrow mesenchymal stromal cells have reduced hematopoietic maintenance ability in sickle cell disease by Alice Tang and Anna Nicole Stratt from New York Blood Center and colleagues. Sickle cell disease, or SCD, is an inherited blood disorder caused by a mutation in the beta-globin chain. SCD is characterized by polymerization of deoxygenated hemoglobin that leads to hemolytic anemia vaso-occlusion, organ damage, and increased mortality. Red blood cell transfusion is the standard of care in most cases of SCD. It has been proven effective in ameliorating anemia and reducing red blood cell hemolysis by suppressing endogenous erythropoiesis. The only curative option for SCD is a hematopoietic stem cell transplantation with myeloablative regimens using related haploidentical donors or gene-edited autologous sources. However, this treatment is limited by the availability of HLA-matched donors and is associated with increased mortality in older patients. Although the pathophysiology of SCD is not fully understood, emerging evidence points to the involvement of free hemoglobin and heme. These two blood components can induce damage at the molecular and tissue levels through free radical generation, extravascular translocation, and oxidative stress. Because successful transplantation relies on functional bone marrow stroma for engraftment, experts postulate that disrupted bone marrow stroma may be a contributing cause of transplantation failure in a subgroup of patients with SCD. Mesenchymal stromal cells, or MSCs, are a major component of the bone marrow stroma with roles in maintaining hematopoietic stem cell, or HSC, homeostasis, and promoting HSC release into circulation. Previous studies have found that MSCs from human sickle cell bone marrow have altered expression of the SCF and CXCL12 genes, key HSC niche factors. Despite these interesting findings, the potential contribution of the bone marrow stroma and MSCs in the maintenance of HSC numbers and functionality in SCD has not been assessed. In the current study, the authors investigated whether free heme induces oxidative stress and alters MSCs in the bone marrow of sickle cell patients. To test this hypothesis, they characterized the colony formation, self-renewal, and trilineage differentiation of MSCs in a town's transgenic mouse model of SCD. In addition, they compared the transcriptomes of bone marrow MSCs from SCD and control mice, and assessed the impact of hemolysis and hemolytic pathways on the functionality of wild-type mouse MSCs. Investigators then conducted experiments to determine whether MSCs contribute to increased oxidative stress and DNA damage in sickle cell HSCs, and how MSCs respond to free heme in the SCD bone marrow microenvironment. Finally, they tested whether red blood cell transfusion can improve the functionality of MSCs in the mouse model. Experiments revealed multiple defects in MSCs from sickle cell mice, including decreased numbers in the bone marrow, increased concentrations of reactive oxygen species, decreased adipogenic and osteogenic differentiation potential, and decreased ability to form secondary spheres. Murine SCD MSCs had lower HSC maintenance ability in vitro and in vivo as manifested by increased HSC mobilization. And decreased HSC engraftment following transplant. In particular, expression of key genes involved in HSC maintenance was down-regulated while the expression of toll-like receptor, or TLR4-related genes, was upregulated in sickle cell MSCs. Previously, it has been shown that heme can bind and activate TLR4-mediated signaling in endothelial cells. In addition, pre-transplant co-culture with sickle cell MSCs led to decreased engraftment of wild-type HSCs, with increasing levels of reactive oxygen species detected in HSCs 16 weeks post-transplant. When wild-type mice were treated with hemin, most of the functional MSC defects observed in sickle cell mice were replicated, implicating free heme as the driver of altered MSC phenotype in SCD mice. The authors further found that activation of TLR4 through P65 in MSCs further contributed to their dysfunction, while TLR4 inhibition reversed the altered phenotype, both in hemen-treated wild-type mice and in sickle cell mice. Interestingly, the defects in MSCs and HSCs caused by exposure to free heme were reversible upon in vitro or in vivo treatment, with the antioxidant N-acetyl L-cysteine. Red blood cell transfusion led to improved MSC function and oxidative state of HSCs in sickle cell mice. Based on these findings, the authors proposed a new model whereby hemolysis induces oxidative damage to MSCs via TLR4-P65 activation, altering the ability of MSCs to maintain HSCs. In an accompanying commentary, Elizabeth Stanger from UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh notes that the study sets the stage for future preclinical evaluations of MSCs and HSCs from patients with sickle cell disease. The authors successfully demonstrated many defects in SCD bone marrow, which may explain the difficulty in mobilizing autologous HSCs in sickle cell patients and higher rates of graft rejection following transplantation. While defective MSCs may contribute to higher risk of graft rejection in SCD patients, MSC defects still need to be confirmed in human SCD studies. According to Stenger, Such studies would be a prerequisite for the development of novel therapies that rely on inhibition of TLR4 or oxidative stress pathways. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled CAR Hematotox, a model for CAR T-cell-related hematological toxicity in relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma by Kai Rajewski from the University Hospital of LMU Munich in Munich, Germany, and colleagues. In the past decade, chimeric antigen receptor, or CAR, T-cell therapies have dramatically improved the outcomes of patients with relapsed refractory B-cell malignancies. However, immunological toxicities continue to hamper the utility of this immunotherapy. Studies have shown that treatment with CAR T cells is associated with persistent grade three or greater neutropenia after day twenty one in approximately thirty to thirty eight percent of patients, thrombocytopenia in twenty one to twenty nine percent of patients, and anemia in five to seventeen percent of patients. Prolonged neutropenia carries the risk of serious infections in patients with B-cell malignancies, and this risk is further compounded by B-cell aplasia and hypogamma globulinemia, which have been recognized as on-target, off-tumor toxicities of CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy. Prior research has implicated several risk factors in CAR T-cell-related hematotoxicity, including baseline cytopenia, the grade of cytokine release syndrome, or CRS, and Immune Effector Cell-Associated Neurotoxicity Syndrome, or ICANS. In addition, receipt of allogeneic stem cell transplantation within one year of CAR T-cell treatment and alterations in the levels of stromal cell-derived factor 1, or SDF1, have been associated with an increased risk of hematotoxicity. Key registrational trials of CAR T-cell therapy were subject to restrictive hematologic exclusion criteria including an absolute neutrophil count less than 1,000 per microliter, platelet count less than 50,000 to 75,000 per microliter, and hemoglobin less than 8 grams per deciliter. Therefore, the frequency and duration of emergent cytopenias may have been underestimated in these pivotal studies. Currently, tools for risk-stratifying CAR-T cell-mediated hematotoxicity in patients are lacking. In this retrospective observational study, investigators aimed to develop a clinical score capable of discriminating between a high and low risk for hematotoxicity in the real-world setting of CAR-T cell therapy. The study included a total of 258 patients with relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma treated with two CAR-T cell products, axicaptogene ciloleucel or Axicel, or Tisagenlusuzumab, or Tisecel. Fifty-eight patients were included in the training cohort, 91 patients in a European validation cohort, and 109 patients in a U.S. validation cohort. The patients were heavily pretreated; they received a median of three prior lines of therapy before apheresis, and 27% had undergone prior autologous stem cell transplantation. The primary endpoint was the duration of clinically significant neutropenia defined as an absolute neutrophil count less than 500 per microliter between days 0 and 60 of treatment. To identify predictive biomarkers of CAR T-cell-related hematotoxicity, the authors examined any potential associations between baseline clinical and laboratory findings and the duration of neutropenia. Out of 235 patients evaluated for the primary endpoint, Profound and prolonged neutropenia was observed in 72% and 64% of patients, respectively. The median duration of clinically significant neutropenia was 9 days. Univariate and multivariate analyses revealed a significant correlation between neutropenia and baseline thrombocytopenia, and elevated inflammatory markers in the training cohort. However, the primary endpoint did not correlate with the incidence and severity of CRS, ICANS, and peak cytokine levels. The authors then developed the CAR-Hematotox model using markers associated with hematopoietic reserve namely platelet count, hemoglobin levels, and absolute neutrophil count, and markers associated with baseline inflammation, including C-reactive protein and ferritin. They tested the ability of CAR hematotox to serve as a risk stratification tool for hematotoxicity and found that it successfully discriminated patients with severe neutropenia lasting 14 days or more, versus those with neutropenia lasting less than 14 days, with a sensitivity of 89% and specificity of 68%. A high CAR hematotox score was associated with statistically significant differences related to longer hospital stay, longer duration of neutropenia, 12 versus 5.5 days, a higher frequency of anemia, 96% versus 40%, and severe thrombocytopenia, 87% versus 34%. The model was validated in both independent patient cohorts. The authors cite some potential limitations of their study, including the retrospective nature of the analysis, incomplete data concerning bone marrow infiltration, and presence of dysplastic changes or clonal hematopoiesis. Also, the primary endpoint may have been influenced by the day of GCSF initiation and the frequency and depth of follow-up. Taken together, these findings indicate that baseline cytopenias and inflammatory state prior to CAR T-cell treatment are associated with prolonged and severe cytopenias in patients with relapsed refractory B-cell lymphoma. The CAR hematotox score may be useful in developing risk-adapted management approaches, including antimicrobial strategies for those patients at risk of hematologic toxicity. In an accompanying commentary, Rowan Faramond and Marco Davila from Moffitt Cancer Center note that CAR hematotox can be easily applied in clinical practice using standard-of-care laboratory tests obtained prior to CAR T-cell infusion. However, Faramond and Davila also point out study limitations, including the availability of few bone marrow samples for evaluation, which is critical to understanding the mechanisms of delayed hematopoietic recovery, and the inclusion of only patients with large B-cell lymphoma. They conclude that the study begs additional questions about several important topics, including the optimal management of cytopenias beyond supportive care, the identification of low-risk patients that may be safely treated in an outpatient setting, and the search for additional early predictive markers of safety prior to CAR-T cell therapy. Lastly, we will review a report published in Blood entitled Increased Efficacy of Dual Pro-Inflammatory Cytokine Blockade on Acute GVHD While Maintaining GVT Effects by Lam Quat from the University of California at Davis and collaborators. Graft versus host disease, or GVHD, is the predominant cause of treatment failure after allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Despite ongoing efforts aimed at mitigating this complication, GVHD develops due to activation of multiple cellular and molecular pathways that ultimately leads to tissue and organ damage. Preclinical and clinical studies implicate a state of heightened inflammation and the contribution of specific pro-inflammatory cytokines, including tumor necrosis factor or TNF-alpha and IL-6 in the pathogenesis of GVHD. Single cytokine blockade of TNF-alpha and IL-6 has been extensively studied in allogeneic transplantation. While early phase trials have shown encouraging results, the efficacy of this approach still hasn't been confirmed in phase 3 trials. Despite the complementary and pleiotropic actions of TNF-alpha and IL-6, the utility of dual cytokine blockade in preventing or alleviating GVHD after allogeneic transplantation has not been explored to date, and efforts remain largely focused on single cytokine blockade. In the current study, the authors postulated that blocking both inflammatory pathways may offer advantage over single cytokine blockade in GVHD prophylaxis. They used two mouse models of GVHD to test their hypothesis, including a classical acute GVHD major MHC mismatch model and a minor MHC mismatch model, employing diet-induced obese recipients. Experiments revealed that early administration of dual TNF-alpha and IL-6 blockade provided better protection and survival from acute gut GVHD in mice compared to single cytokine blockade. The levels of IL-6 and TNF-alpha in the serum, as well as endotoxin translocation originating from the damaged GI tract, were significantly reduced with the administration of dual compared to single cytokine blockade. The efficacy of dual cytokine blockade was also noted in the minor mismatch model of diet-induced obese recipients, where rapid onset of acute lethal gut GVHD is typically noted. In these animals, protection against diarrhea and gut inflammation was achieved and was histologically characterized by less gut lymphocyte infiltration and crypt loss compared to single cytokine blockade. Also, tandem blockade of TNF-alpha and IL-6 maintained expression of IL-22, a cytokine that promotes intestinal regeneration and regulates the DNA damage response in intestinal stem cells. While dual cytokine blockade was more effective at preventing later-onset chronic skin GVHD, it did not prove advantageous in a model of sclerodermatous chronic GVHD compared to single cytokine blockade. Importantly, dual cytokine blockade did not impair the desired graft-versus-tumor effects in their murine models. In an accompanying commentary, Federico Simonetta from Geneva University Hospitals in Switzerland notes that the study provides compelling evidence about the advantages of dual TNF-alpha and IL-6 blockade over single cytokine blockade in acute GVHD prevention in murine models. However, he also encourages future mechanistic and correlative studies to elucidate the importance of this and other pathways in GVHD, and cautions that mouse models are not useful in evaluating the risk of infection associated with the use of new immunomodulatory strategies. An earlier study reported a significant number of severe infectious complications in patients with steroid refractory acute GVHD treated with TNF-alpha antagonist infliximab. Simonetta concludes that carefully conducted clinical trials are needed to determine whether dual TNF-alpha and IL-6 blockade carries acceptable levels of risk. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.